Well, good morning. Good to see everybody here today. If you have your Bibles, I ask you to turn over to 2 Corinthians chapter 12. We're continuing in our series, Praying Like Paul. Praying Like Paul. If you want to prep for next week, next week we'll be looking at Colossians chapter 1, the prayer there. So if you want to pray ahead, you can certainly go ahead and do that. We are really, really, really blessed with a wonderful worship team. Yes. And again, I was, um, I was challenged today and blessed with that song, Lord, I Need You, that we ended with. But I, but I have a question for you. Do you ever get frustrated in prayer? There have been times I've come before God and sometimes it's a physical ailment, perhaps that I have or a loved one has or a close friend. And in my mind, I know I need God. That's why I'm bringing that need to him. And all I want him to do is answer the prayer. Or or perhaps it's circumstances that you're facing in life that are very difficult. And and you know God's the answer. And you just want him to fix it. But what happens when he doesn't? We come in our prayer with expectations of what we think would be best, honestly, would make us more effective so we could serve him better. Really? I mean, isn't that true? God, if you correct this circumstance, if you heal this, then I'll be more effective for you. I don't know about you, but that logic runs through my mind all the time. I got it kind of figured out. And God seems to have a different agenda. If you've ever had that feeling, you're not alone. It is the same kind of scenario that we find in 2 Corinthians chapter 12 with the Apostle Paul. And he's going to recount for us an event that happened probably around the age of 40 for him. He'd been a Christian 8, 10 years, something like that. When when this particular situation occurs, and and, and it occurs, uh, if you know anything about doubt, the, the, the ministry of Paul, there's this kind of 10 years of silence, which we just don't know a lot about Paul. I mean, we, we pick up with stuff at the beginning of the Acts and then again in Acts, but then there's this 10-year block where, like, we don't know a whole lot, just glimpses here and there. And this is one of those passages. But Paul is going through that very experience. He knows he needs God. He knows he wants to be a minister of God and effective for God. But there's this problem. And if God will merely take away this problem, Paul will be more effective. That's my logic. That's your logic, isn't it? Look at what the text says. Chapter 12 and verse 7 Paul here is speaking, and I'm just going to read a part of it. Therefore, in order to keep me from 
becoming conceited. I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. The perennial question is, what is this? And the answer is, I don't know. Okay? Could it, could it be a physical ailment of some sort? Of course. I mean, we, we, we know when we read through the scripture elsewhere, Paul will talk often about what appears to be eye problems. Which, which he talks to the Galatians about, you would have actually plucked out your eyes and given them to me if you could have. Which probably indicates that Paul had some eye problems. Perhaps he's talking about picking up malaria in some of his trips. I don't know. Or, some scholars have argued, and there's, good, there's a good case for this, that he's talking about the persecution and the oppression and the opposition he's facing. And he's just basically saying, God, if you'll make my eyesight better, I won't have to use these secretaries all the time to write what I'm writing to these people. I can write it myself. Or, God, if you'll take away some of this opposition I'm finding from the Jews and from all these different groups, think of how many more people could hear the gospel. We don't know exactly what it is. What we do know is when you read verse 10, that when he applies it, he applies it broadly to all those things. A messenger from Satan that's tormenting Paul. It's, it's literally the word strike. It, it, it's pummel. It's, it's, it's what you often find hitting somebody across the face. Now, what, who is that messenger? Is he human or demonic? I don't know. Maybe both. But he looks at something he's facing that Satan is behind to hurt Paul that brings him great pain. Do you have anything in your life that brings you great pain. It could be a relationship. It could be a physical ailment. It could be the loss of, of a loved one. It could be a whole host of things. Paul is convinced when he prays, this is painful. Satan is behind it, opposing him and what he's trying to accomplish. Surely, God wants to take that thing and remove it. I mean, doesn't that make sense? And so he comes before God and he pours his heart out to God. God, so that I might be effective for you, take this away. Nothing happens. So he prays again. Is this a day later, a week later? I don't know. I don't know. But at some point, a second time, he comes before God. God, God, you know how I want to serve you. You, you know how I want to be used by you. God, take this away and I'll be more effective. I'll have some strength to do what I need to do. Nothing. Nothing. So he goes to him a third time. A week later, I don't know, a couple weeks, who knows? 
But the, it has just been on him for that entire time. And he begs God a third time in prayer. God, please take it away. And this time God answers. But not in the way that Paul had expected. Look at what the text says. Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. No, 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 Lord, 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 Lord. No, 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 it doesn't work that way. God, you take it away. I'll have my strength renewed and then I can do something for you. That's what he's thinking. Don't we think that way? It makes all the sense in the world. That's, that's the American way. That's how you pray as an American. And God has a very, very different agenda. God says no. And he says no because he wants Paul to find and discover a kind of strength that he would never find if it was in his own strength. And, and, and as you read the text, I want to go back and, and start in verse 2 to try to give you the context of what's going on. I mean, Paul's thinking one way, and because God is so much bigger than us, God sees things cosmically. He knows so much better what's, what, what we need. He comes in, and he just flips everything upside down, but in flipping it upside down, he gives Paul exactly what Paul needs. Look at what it says. Let's start in verse 2 of 2 Corinthians 12. Paul says, um, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Now, now folks, he's talking about himself. Doesn't this seem a little bit strange to say, hey, I, I know this guy. Oh, by the way, it's me. <laughs> like, what? 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 And, and it's important. Let me keep reading. It's important what he's doing here. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up to the third heaven. Whether it was in the body or out of the body, I, I don't know. God knows. I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I don't know. But God knows. Okay. He was caught up to paradise and heard inexpressible things things that no one is permitted to tell. I don't know all the ins and outs about this. This is all we hear about this in the scripture. But during those 10 silent years when Paul is back ministering in the area of Tarsus, God chose to do something incredibly special just for Paul to encourage Paul with the ministry that he had. And he gave him this incredible vision of heaven. And when he gave him the vision of it, he said, Paul, you can't tell anybody what you're seeing right now. <laughs> Can you imagine that one? Did you ever, were you ever told a secret, like when my kids, when one of my kids is going to get uh, married or, or engaged, and say, like, don't tell anybody, Dad. It's like, oh, it's really hard. But, but honestly, if I was, in heaven, 
And God said, okay, Fink Punter, let you see all this stuff, um, but you can't tell anybody in the chapel a thing. Well, that's what happens in this passage. This vision was not for anybody else. It was only for Paul. Paul was encouraging him through this vision. And he saw these incredible things and zip it up, Paul, because you can't share it. God did that at this time in his life, probably because he was feeling very lonely. I don't know, whole host of things. But God was encouraging him in that period of time. That's what we know. How would you feel if you had a vision like that that nobody else had and you came to the chapel next Sunday? Betty didn't have that when I did. Tim didn't have it. Even Pastor Tim didn't have that one. Yeah. But think by her. <laughs> I mean, it would be the tendency, right? I mean, you know, honestly, you're reading this kind of stuff. And 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 God, God is so gracious. He gives us these special gifts. And if, if we're not very, very gar- careful, gifts from God can be something that we boast in as if it's all about us. Right? Make it happen. And that's what, that's what the text says. Paul says this in verse 5. I will boast about a man like that, but I will not boast about myself except about my weaknesses. Paul, that's you. I know. And the reason he talks about himself in the third person is he's, he's distancing himself from that experience. He's not saying it was a bad experience. It was an experience from God for him personally. But he did not want to be defined by that experience. So that he would feel better or superior to the people around him. Does that make sense? So he speaks of the experience as in the third person, although it's actually him. He goes on to say this. Look at verse 6. Even if I should choose to boast, I would not be a fool because I would be speaking the truth. In other words, Paul says, if I got, if I spoke to you about that experience. Nobody could look at me and say, hey, man, you made it up. It happened. It would be true. However, look at what he goes on to say. But I refrain. So no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. Or because of these surpassing great revelations. Paul says, you know what? I don't want to step in to Corinth and for people to go, there's the vision guy. I want them to see my Christianity lived out. What I say, what I do, Christ in me, and honestly, even my weakness. And so, look at verse 7. Therefore, In order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given this thorn in the flesh. Three times I pleaded for the Lord to take it away, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Now, folks, I want you to hear this next word because this is unbelievable. 
Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties, in all that stuff. For when I am weak, then I am strong. I have to tell you, when God brings me to the end of myself, and I feel really weak, maybe because of relationships, maybe because of a physical issue, or a whole host of things, circumstances. The first thing out of my mouth is not to say, oh, I delight in this. It isn't. I most gladly rejoice that I feel crummy today. Do you? And yet, Paul realized that God was doing something bigger than the prayer request. And here, here's the thing that's really struck me about this passage. It, just, it just fascinates me. This happened 14 years before. So Paul's been a Christian about 10 years when, it, when this happened, where, where he gets this incredible vision, and coming out of that vision, God knows his tendency of his heart. So although he's praying that this thorn, whatever it is, will be removed, God knows that if he removes it, Paul's going to become very self-sufficient and he can make it on his own. Thank you. And he's going to look at that vision and say, man, I'm really special because look at what God gave me. So Paul said, although I was asking for something that I thought was really consistent with what God wants, God is so gracious that he hears my heart, he knows what's best, and he gives me the opposite of what I asked for. And it's the best thing that could have ever happened to me. Do you know, when Paul came to minister at Corinth, he ran into all kinds of problems. I mean, Corinth was known, um, I, I was over in Corinth actually a year ago, in the summer, and, and they have a little museum there you can kind of go through. And so I was really interested to go through the museum and find out how many of the statues were all about people in the area of Corinth that were really significant. I mean, like every building had a name on it. Think Biner, Huff, <laughs> you know, whatever. You know, it was just all over the place. And, and it was all about me and my position and how strong I am and what I've accomplished and my performance, and you should be impressed with me. That was the culture. And between 1 Corinthians and 2 Corinthians, there were would-be people that came in of Jewish descent who said they were Christians, who weren't Christians, and they were using Christianity for their own purposes. And they were stepping on the scene, and they were saying, Paul is nothing. Paul is weak. We have performed and we've had this experience and that experience and this experience and all kinds of things. And as Paul is combating that, he thinks back to this experience he had 14 years before. 
And they're all about themselves and the strength that they can have on their own and the power and the authority and the, to impress people. And Paul doesn't know quite how to counter that because he thinks to himself, do I want to like list all my accolades of what I've done? He could. And, and you see the struggle in chapter 10 and 11 of 2 Corinthians where Paul's saying, I don't want to be a fool and be like them. But sometimes the only way to counter a fool is to use some of their arguments against them. Right? And he's just wrestling, wrestling back and forth. So what he does in 2 Corinthians 11, and, and the point is, this experience, which was a personal experience that God used to grow him 14 years before, God is going to use him now to counter a whole view in the church that is anti-God and to encourage the Corinthians how to work, uh, live their lives. I mean, the whole thing just, it starts here. Paul prays for this. God doesn't give him what he wants, but in giving him what he needs, God changes Paul, and in changing Paul, he changes his relationships and impacts a church and a whole community and all kinds of other people. Just because of the way God answers a prayer. Do, do you see that? So in 2 Corinthians 11, Paul's wrestling back. What do I do with these guys? He goes, all right, all right, I'm going to play the game of the fool, but it really makes me feel uncomfortable. They think they're Jews. I'm a Jew. They think they're impressive. I was a Pharisee of a Pharisee. They think they, think they went through some really crazy things. Man, I was shipwrecked. I was beaten. I was this. I was this. Ba, 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 ba. Man, he just lists a whole litany of things. But he says, but then in the midst of it, he stops himself because he says, I can't play this game though. Because it's not about my performance. It's not about what I've done. It's all about God's power through my weakness. So he says, they may want to have all these kind of accolades. Let me tell you about an experience I had about three years after I was a Christian. They wanted to kill me in Damascus. I had to get out of the city. And everybody knows in, in, in Greek and Roman history, the most powerful, impressive individual is the first soldier, first soldier over the wall. That's power. I remember them putting me in a fish basket. And that night when nobody was looking, they lowered me outside the wall so I could run away to Jerusalem. Paul says, that's what I glory in. They can have all the accolades they want. I don't work that kind of game. And you go back, and as Paul is trying to talk to the Corinthians, the Christian life is not about me and my strength and my power and my accomplishments. No. It's about God's power through weakness. I think I've told you this before. God wants to use common Skippy peanut butter jars. That's what he uses. That's all we are. We're just skippy peanut butter jars. That's it. That's a, that's a little modification of what he says in 2 Corinthians 4, but it's, that's what he's saying. But, but, but do you see what I love about this passage? Here's something that happens 10 years into Paul's ministry, those silent years. And he learns that at the end of the day, the most powerful thing on earth is to know his power through our weakness. And he so lives that 
that when he hits Corinth, he's ready to share it with them too. I came across a, a poem that's been written, I think, long, long, long time ago. I want to read it to you. Well, let, let, me, let, me, let me try to kind of summar, summarize it like this, if I could. So I think this is what the text says, 2 Corinthians 12. Let me read it twice because it's a little wordy, but here it is. The pain you most want God to remove from your life may be the platform you most need in your life so that his greatness may exhibit, be exhibited through you. Can I read that one more time? The pain you most want God to remove from your life may be the platform you most need in your life so that his greatness may be exhibited through you. Listen to this poem. I asked God for strength that I might achieve. I was made weak that I might learn humbly to obey. I asked for health that I might do great things. I was given infirmity that I might do better things. I asked for riches that I might be happy. I was given poverty that I might be wise. I asked for power that I might have the praise of men. I was given weakness that I might feel the need of God. I asked for all things that I might enjoy life. I was given life that I might enjoy all things. I got nothing that I asked for, but everything I had hoped for. Almost despite myself, my unspoken prayers were answered. I am among all men most richly blessed. Brothers and sisters in Christ, will you remember that this day? You may not always get the answer you want because God is about doing something far bigger than you can possibly imagine. And when he doesn't take it away, it's not because he doesn't care. We sang again today, God works all things together for our good. It's not because he doesn't care. He's glorifying his name in your life. In your weakness, he is showing forth his power. So when people come and say, how did you ever pull that off? You say, I didn't. I couldn't. I had no. And they say, yeah, I know, because it doesn't make any sense. And that's the beauty, because he gets all the praise. See, that's how it works. So don't start, stop praying for whatever that thing is. But just realize that God may be doing something bigger than you can possibly imagine. Father, we thank you for the openness and the honesty and the vulnerability of the Apostle Paul in this passage. Lord, we, we are... Um, We are amazed by your goodness, Lord. Because all of us have been, are, or will be right where the Apostle Paul is. Help us to realize something. 
that thing which we want removed, which seems such so much of a problem, which in and of itself is, is. It's, it's not a good thing. It's just that a good God is overseeing the process in such a powerful way that you're accomplishing something good in the midst of something that's very bad. Father, I pray your spirit will touch the hearts of believers here today that may be struggling with this truth and encourage them afresh that you are the great God who often chooses to work through skimpy peanut butter jars. And Father, for that, we thank you. In Christ's name, amen.